Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With all the talk about climate change and the environment, the reality is for dairy farmers, emissions need to be reduced by 20% by the year 2030. However, this doesn't mean extra costs to the farmer. I spoke to William Burchill on how best to achieve emission targets. I suppose the reason why um, greenhouse gas and environmental um, concerns have come to focus recently um, has come down to, I suppose, a lot of people have heard about the Paris Agreement recently. And under the Paris Agreement, um, each member state in the European Union has kind of has signed up to reduce um, um, greenhouse gas emissions. And Ireland is no different to the rest of the, of the other countries. And we must reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by 20% um, by 2030. And that's going to be a major challenge for us going forward. So the reason why it's more of a focus for agriculture is that agriculture actually accounts for about a third of our national emissions. And um, that's a quite high figure compared to other European countries. Um, other, the EU average for agriculture is around the 10% mark. So the reason for that is that in Ireland, we don't have a major or very heavy industry and agriculture is one of our, our major sectors. So if we are to reduce um, our national emissions and meet our targets, I suppose agriculture accounting for a third will have a part to play in, in meeting that target. And then if I was to say to you, William, you know, take a Trump attitude, um, you know, sceptical about um, the effect um, these emissions are having on the environment, you know, he would suggest that you know, it's a made-up word and it doesn't exist. Would you agree with that or would you completely disagree? Well, I think that there is that perception out there that, you know, is climate change there or not? But really, like, all the science that is there coming out from... There's a, there's a panel of experts working on this consistently and they've consistently shown that, you know, global temperatures are increasing. And I think um, for us, you know, and a little closer to home... Um, and where, where we really saw it this year was the extreme weather conditions that we have had. I suppose the consensus around climate change is that we will be getting more extreme weather conditions. And I think the last 12 months has really shown us um, that these extreme weather conditions can occur and they have happened to us in the last 12 months. And if, if we um, kind of move on then and, and look into dairy farming specifically, what are the main sources of emissions on dairy farms? So in terms of the first of all, um, Emma, I'll just talk about um, greenhouse gases. So in terms of greenhouse gases, the biggest contributor is, um, is methane emissions from the actual cow. So this is the cow actually physically burping up methane gas um, as a result of the um, digestion uh, process of the cow. Um, then that accounts for about about 65% of our emissions. And then the remaining 30-35% is coming from um, the use of nitrogen fertilizers and also is associated with the management of our, um, our slurries on our farm. So they are both sources of methane emissions and also the potent greenhouse gas nitrous oxide. And in terms of the cow, she makes up a, a high percentage of that with the 65%. 
are there any practices that we can implement to reduce the level of methane f- emission from a cow? There is options out there, um, Emma Louise, yes, to reduce emissions from the cow, but at present, the strategies that are there can be quite expensive. There is some feed additives that can be used. Um, for our best option to reduce methane emissions from the actual cow would be to try to extend the grazing season. So some studies have shown that increasing the amount of grazed grass in the diet, it has um, more easily digestible fibres, and easily digestible fibres produce less methane um, from the cow's cow's stomach. And I guess, you know, extending the grazing season at the moment, you know, there's a huge focus in terms of grass 10, getting cows out in early in February, and, you know, stretching grazing until you know late november and that's kind of targeting a 280 to 300 day grazing season um and i suppose at the moment farmers tend to get out later and they're finishing earlier so i guess that's a really a really good tip for farmers to reduce emissions in, inside their own farm gate if we move then you know you said the other the remaining 35 percent would be nitrogen fertilizer and slurry management and i suppose there's a lot of tips we can we can give farmers um, in order to improve the efficiency of nitrogen in that uh, form. What are the tips you'd have for farmers? Uh, a major tip I would have for farmers on that would be to, first of all, by increasing or improving your soil fertility. That means that you will get more grass grown for every kilogram or every bag of nitrogen you spread on your farm. If the soil fertility is right, you'll be getting more grass growth. And this might have the option then to be able to even reduce our reliance on nitrogen fertilizer or to maybe uh, reduce its use in certain capacities. Um, Also as well, there's new players on the nitrogen fertilizer market. Um, you might have heard of this new product called Protected Urea. So basically, this um, fertilizer is made up of urea with a uh, coating on it. And this coating um, actually slows down the release of nitrogen into the soil and helps to reduce um, ammonia emissions. And it also helps to reduce um, Uh, greenhouse gas emissions compared to using our conventional can or urea fertilizer. I suppose, you know, to take just a step back and and pick up on that, what exactly is the difference between, say, the protected urea versus your urea or your can that farmers have typically spread on their land? Um, And physically, in terms of looking at the actual product um, and the granules, there are very very similar sized granules to your normal fertilizer fertilizer urea and they can be spread in the exact same way. Um, So in terms of practicalities for farmers, it's really, um, the main thing is that it can be bought and purchased the same as urea and can and spread quite similarly. Um, So that's a very practical option that farmers can can implement to reduce, um, reduce their emissions on their farms. What time of year would you be spreading this protected urea? Is it all year round or time specific? Well, the protected urea can be spread um, all year round, but we would kind of see it as a more direct replacement for can during the summertime because um, it reduces the um, protected urea is less prone to, to nitrogen loss. 
um, compared to uh, maybe your more typically more your more urea in the hot summer and hot summer weather conditions. And then if we turn our attention to slurry, um, you know, farmers are typically spreading slurry in the springtime and then after their cuts of silage on farms. You know, what can farmers do to improve the efficiency of the slurry that they spread on the land? So the main, the first of all, the first thing I would say is that if they can increase the proportion of slurry that's um, spread in the springtime, I suppose a lot of research has shown that um, spreading slurry in the springtime will actually allow you to get a better use of the that, that nitrogen that's in the slurry. So that um, is a benefit. And that nitrogen that is actually better utilised is actually not lost to the environment. So that's one thing, changing the timing. Also as well within that is to try and pick days where, where it's practically possible to spread your slurry where it's on a calm, cool, damp day. And this helps to reduce the, um, the potential for nitrogen being lost from your slurry. And also then, um, a lot of people are starting to use these new low emission slurry spreading techniques. And these include the trailing shoe and the dribble bar. So they have a great advantage in terms that they can be used to spread slurry into slightly higher covers of grass. And farmers are now using that technology to also target their slurry to paddocks that are low in both P and K. So it's helping them to build soil fertility and also it's helping them to spread the slurry, um, you know, maybe in the springtime on their drier ground, which have a higher cover of grass. And with the dribble bar or the trailing shoe, you're saying that they can get into higher covers. What is your recommendation on the timing after spreading? How soon can you graze the paddock? Well, I suppose usually what I've been talking to a few farmers about this, and they've said uh, within about, a co- about, about two weeks they've been able to go in and graze that. And no effect on graze out and, I suppose, the cow's contentment? No. Um, a main point, I suppose, would be that um, the slurry would have to be a bit more watered down, you know, a bit more liquidy. If you're using something from a, a thick slurry from a slatted unit, you know, there may be some bit of slurry residue there. But in the majority of cases where you're kind of having a typical um, watered down d- dairy slurry, there usually isn't a, a, um, an issue. And just to put a figure on it, you're slurry that is spread in say late January what sort of NP and K would you expect in that slurry? In late January you're talking for a typical slurry you're talking about six units of nitrogen and five units of P and 30 units of K so usually I suppose the old story about slurry was that it is similar to a bag of 0730 but you have to add on your six units of nitrogen as well. So that's with your splash plate. Um, When you're using either your trailing shoe or your dribble bar, you're talking about adding on about three units of nitrogen per thousand gallons spread. So that's kind of the extra benefit you're getting from using those technologies. So finally then, just to sum up, William, can you give farmers some top tips in how they can make their farms more environmentally friendly? Well, what I'd first of all, the first thing I'd recommend is to look at their own farm and see how they can extend the grazing season. So, you know, 
using the likes of grassland management tools such as grass measuring and the autumn rotation planner that'll help you to extend grazing in the autumn and also leave grass there for the spring so that, that's number one point the second thing I would say is to try and improve the genetics and the genetic merit of their herd. By doing this, um, they'll have better fertility within their animals. And there will be, when you have better fertility, you'll have less unproductive or less poorly performing stock on the farm. And that can help to reduce down um, the amount of emissions produced per, per litre of milk that's been produced on the farm. And then finally, I would say to look at your slurry management. You know, use your slurry to target it for springtime to get the best value of it in terms of nitrogen. Also, targeting your slurry to your lower P and K index farm soils as well would help to improve the fertility of your farm. And also spreading lime to correct soil fertility as well is, is um, vitally important. And you know, I would ask farmers as well, um, to maybe have a look at using the new types of fertilizers that are out there in terms of your protected ureas. Um, it's quite um, um, cost competitive with CAN, so look, maybe there, there is a potential on a lot of farms to, to actually try to start using this, dip your toe in it, see how it works for you. That's great, thank you William. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast, and my thanks to William Birchall for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.